Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, this is the Andrew theme. It's back to school time. A lot of people have a lot on their mind. So we're bringing you a bonus episode of the pod this week. My colleague Julie Evenson interviewed Dr. Whitney Caceres, a Portland pediatrician who also runs an online community for working moms. It's a good conversation with a lot of practical advice for parents on how to get mentally prepared for the return to full-time in-person instruction in coming days. We shared this interview on Facebook already, but figured we'd drop it in the podcast feed as well. On Monday, we'll have a regular episode of Beat Check that also focuses on back to school, but I interviewed Portland Public Schools reporter Edder Capizano and Amy Green, who's been on the COVID beat for months. That'll drop Monday. But first, here's Julie and Dr. Whitney Caceres. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Julie Evenson. I'm engagement editor for the Oregonian Oregon Live. Uh, I am here with Dr. Whitney Caceres uh, from modernmommydoc.com. Um, and we are going to talk today about back to school and all the, you know, that's always a, a little bit of a bittersweet time, a little bit of a stressful time for parents, but especially this year with, you know, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and, uh, you know, the surging cases that we're seeing specifically here in Oregon, but kids are going back to school in person. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to take questions uh, from viewers. So if you have a question, pop it into the comments here. Um, but before we get started with that, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice and your approach, and then we'll get started. Absolutely. So I am a private practice pediatrician in Portland at Pediatric Associates of the Northwest. And I'm also the CEO and founder of Modern Mommy Doc, which is an online platform and community where we're really invested in helping working moms to thrive, not just survive on their motherhood experience and try to go from that place of feeling really conflicted and pulled in all different directions to feeling very centered and grounded and focused on what matters most to them. And my whole approach as a pediatrician, as, as a founder, is really equipping parents with the resources and information that they need to help them in the real world to make decisions that are going to work for their family. I have two kids myself, two daughters, who are going to be in Portland Public Schools this year. And so I know firsthand about back to school woes and worries and all of these topics. And I hear it from my patients all day long, too. So uh, I see a bunch of people just joined us. I can see my little scroll screen here. Um, so for those of you who are just joining us, we are talking about 
back to school. And we're talking about back to school during the time of COVID and concerns, questions, things that are facing parents and kids right now. So if you have a question that you would like answered live, uh, put it in the comments. We'll do our best to answer it. Uh, if you're watching this later when we're not live, uh, we'll, we usually come back in. And if there's a question that we can answer in writing, we'll do that as well. So to get started, like I said at the top, parents are kind of nervous about this school year more perhaps than in the past. What are some things that you're hearing from your patients, advice that you're giving to nervous parents? You know, what, what are you saying in your day to day? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that I'm not doing is saying, oh, it's fine. It's all going to be great. <laughs> you know, I'm really digging in with parents to say that makes so much sense that you feel worried this year. It makes so much sense that the Delta variant causes you to stay up at night. It makes sense that you're not sure. Is there a benefit in sending my kid to school for that social emotional development and the learning at the same time with them potentially at risk for catching COVID, right? And how do we keep our kids safe when they're not at school? I'm getting so many questions about that. My take and pediatricians take in general in Portland, and this is the American Academy of Pediatrics take too, is that the vast majority of students will really, really benefit from being in person with their classmates as long as we do it as safely as possible that means making sure that they are masked in Oregon. Looks like it's going to be indoors and outdoors these days. That they are keeping at least a three-foot distance. That the schools are providing ventilation within the school systems. That they're wiping down the surfaces. And then maybe number one and number two things that are going to keep our kids safe when they're in school is actually what's happening at home. So if your kid is sick... And I feel the pain of this because I'm a working mom too, keeping them at home. You know, this is not the year to like wipe their nose and send them on their way to the bus. This is the year to, if your child is in the least bit sick, to not have them attend school so we don't potentially infect other kids. And then the other thing is, if you are an adult or a person who's over 12 who is eligible to receive a vaccine that you are vaccinated. When your time for the booster comes up, that you receive that booster. Those two things really are the things that are going to make it the safest for our kids when they return to in-person learning. And that's a great segue. You know, you and I were chatting a little bit before the broadcast and we were talking about working parents and childcare and, you know, the potential that there could be an outbreak at your child's school and uh, school could have to shut down temporarily. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like how can parents prepare themselves for that? Mm -hmm. So I think number one is understanding within your employment system, what are your rights? What are your, what's your availability in terms of leave if you have to take it, right? What is available to you in case that happens? This is not a moment to have your head in the sand and say, it's not going to happen to me. We're seeing more and more kids who are becoming infected with the Delta variant we are having increasing rates within families. And so making sure that you're kind of preparing in terms of work for yourself. The other is creating a Rolodex of other parents that can be kind of on your bubble list so that if you do have to take time off of work, that you potentially have some other parents that can help out maybe with another child you have who isn't infected, like ways to have a village that come around you, I think is really, really important. Um, the other thing is thinking about 
Is there backup care that you can have within your more immediate or extended family? Do you have other people that live close by or that in your village that you can kind of count on and kind of prep? I think a lot of this is about mental preparation and about logistical preparation for families. Right. And then again, that kind of acceptance of this is probably not going to be the year we thought it was going to be back in, you know, April, May, it is going to be in a different way, probably a bit of an awkward year in terms of work-life balance. For sure. That's a good segue into some of what we are seeing people asking us live in the comments. Uh, and this may be a little outside your area of expertise, but um, I'm seeing a couple comments here, people asking, you know, how likely do you think it is that that will happen, that there will be outbreaks and that there is a chance that some districts at least will have to uh, return to distance learning? So no one can predict the future. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think we can learn from what's happening in other areas where COVID really has been exploding over the past couple of weeks once kids have been in school. I think there's a very high likelihood that there will be classrooms that will end up needing to take a quarantine time, that there will be potentially entire schools that end up needing to take a quarantine time. I think that is not outside the realm of reality. However, nobody knows exactly how likely that is. It's just significantly more likely than it was last year because we did have students that were doing in-person learning last year, but they were in smaller pods, so smaller groups together. There were less of them that were doing the in-person learning and we didn't have the Delta variant. So the, the situation has really changed significantly since last year when our kids were in doing in-person learning. So Delta is another topic that comes up a lot, especially when we're talking about kids. It, it is more infectious and the average age of the patients does appear to be getting younger. So what should parents know about the Delta variant, especially with kids going back to school? I think they just need to understand that this is an entirely different beast and that as new variants come along, it's very different than what we were talking about. And I was talking about on podcasts and on news shows, you know, a year and a half ago, right? A year and a half ago, we were really saying, thank goodness, we're not seeing this in kids at all. Like hardly at all. Very, very little, you know, and the AAP took a long time to say that, but eventually they did say, you know, way less likely to be in kids. Now things really have shifted. We know that the Delta variant is more contagious and that it's causing more severe disease, not just in adults or in older people or in medically fragile people, but also in kids and young adults who have not had previous underlying conditions. We also have to understand that everyone is, of course, we have COVID fatigue. We're all mixing in some way or another. Socially, we have been the whole summer. I, I've been in the airports in Portland, like it's packed out in there, man. You know, so we've been crisscrossing the country and we've been doing all kinds of things that we didn't do for a really long time, which I totally understand. But now it probably is a time to take a step back and say, all right, we have to have a different mindset that this is a more serious issue for our children and our entire families. So earlier in the broadcast, you talked a little bit about what schools are doing, you know, some of the protocols that they're that they're taking. Um, I see some questions from people who joined the broadcast a little bit later about those same topics. Do you mind repeating um, some of what you said about that? Like what what are schools doing to keep kids safe? Yep. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children are kept at least three feet apart. Um, 
that they keep their masks on inside and outside unless they're eating, um, that they're in small groups as much as possible. We know that changes depending on school to school, that there are adequate ventilation systems within the schools, and then that there's adequate cleaning. And then they're also recommending that in areas where rates really skyrocket, that surveillance testing is considered. And I have not seen that yet in terms of a you know, universal protocol that all the schools are planning on doing for our kids. But I know that that is part of the thought process of what could be a potentiality for our kids. And so what does that mean, uh, surveillance testing? Is that like random testing? Yeah, so surveillance testing would be that even if kids are not symptomatic, that you're testing kids to see, do they have COVID? For example, in my office, in my pediatrics office at Pediatric Associates of the Northwest, we've done testing on our employees weekly when we were kind of at the height earlier on. We haven't done it again yet, but to, to see, do our employees, even if they're not showing symptoms, do they have COVID? And the point of that was to keep our patients safe, but to also make sure that we had enough staff that could continue working because we had, you know, some days where we were at a threat of not being able to actually see our patients if we couldn't have enough staff if people were testing positive. So that is the point is to kind of make it so that then if you identify someone who does have it, then you can limit the spread as quickly as possible so that you don't take as many kids out of school as possible, that you're making it so the least amount of kids are impacted by COVID from that one person. That makes sense. Yeah. Surveillance testing is not something that I've heard talked about a ton. So I imagine if that, you know, if that comes up the, and the school districts start communicating with parents about that, there may be a lot of questions. Go on healthychildren.org. That's the American Academy of Pediatrics website, health resource for parents. And it has a whole section on kind of what their recommendations are in terms of the recommendations for going to in-person school for the majority of patients. And then also it has that little statement about the surveillance testing, which is very small, but then you can look into it a little bit more from there. Yeah, absolutely. There hasn't been any mention that that is like what's going to happen in the Portland Public School District. But it's a potential, so sure. uh, we'll we'll drop that link uh, into the comments here, so that uh, people watching along with us can uh, read up on that. Um, and so that also gets at something that I'm seeing reflected a lot in our live comments here, which is the question about what the benefit of in-person school is versus the risk now with Delta being more contagious. And you touched on that a little bit when we first started talking, but I'm seeing some specific questions about it now. So I think it would be great to revisit that. Sure. So I I want to remind people too that we're talking about at this exact moment in time, what are the benefits versus the risk of in-person school? Could things shift in a week, in a month? You know, absolutely. So this is not solid gold information to take with you for three months from now. And if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's that things change really quickly and that the situation, we have to be adaptable to it, right? Um, but at this point, for students who have had an entire year and a half, for most of them, of not being in person, for our kids who are the highest risk of not being able to meet their learning milestones, who maybe don't have a parent who is able to sit with them and do extracurricular learning with them, um, for kids who don't have school, you know, who don't have the benefit of having maybe all the nutritional needs met when they're at home. I'm a pediatrician. We can provide our kids with good schooling. We could have a tutor. We can do online school. And yet my child really understood that 
every single thing was canceled in her life. She understood that every single thing was closed. She understood she couldn't see her friends and she fell into a very deep depression, um, really acted out. Um, you know, we had to really call in all the troops to support her. So even in families where kids are well supported, there was so much mental health crisis that happened this past year. And so that's what as pediatricians, we are trying to avoid. And we believe that at this exact moment, we can do it safely by taking all of those health precautions. Let's take a break and then hear more of Julie Evenson's interview with Dr. Whitney Caceres. One of the big concerns that we hear from parents is about vaccination for younger people, teenagers, younger kids. Um, Let's talk about teenagers first, since they are eligible for the COVID vaccines. What do you say in your practice when you're talking to parents who are concerned about the vaccines, whether the concern is, you know, that it feels like this happened quickly or they're concerned about side effects? You know, what are those conversations like for you? My stance on vaccination in general has never been to be someone who tries to, you know, beat someone over the head with my ideas about vaccines. And so I'm always trying to meet parents where they are to understand what's the origin of their concern. Where did they hear the information? What is the thing that's making them concerned in that moment about the vaccine, whatever vaccine that it is? And and to try to meet them with as much understanding and empathy as possible. And because I, I get it, I'm a parent too, and I understand the fears that come with injecting something into my child, you know? Um, at the same time, with a COVID vaccine, this is really different than a lot of the other vaccines that we give for prevention of issues that we haven't seen in a very long time. So I want every single child to receive the polio vaccine, but I know that it's very rare that a child will actually contract polio at this moment if they don't receive the vaccine. At the same time, I'm always talking about the logic of if enough people don't get the the polio vaccine, it's possible it could re-enter our community. This conversation is a bit different. This conversation is in the immediate future, it is possible that your child could die, be on a ventilator, that your child could be on what's called an ECMO machine, which helps to support the heart function in an intensive care unit. Um, It's possible that even if your child doesn't get to that point, we know that with the wait times that have been happening with the emergency rooms and with the hospitals, that your child might be waiting for care in an uncomfortable state for a very, very long time until it's their turn to get the care that they need. This is not esoteric. This is literally your child could be in danger tomorrow the next week, the next month. And so that is what I'm always thinking about is I care about the health and wellness of my patients and whatever form and function that takes. And we have an immediate risk to our young children and to our adolescents right now, as well as the general population. Have you had a lot of questions about the side effects? I guess that that comes up for us um, in the media. We get a lot of questions. You know, we're not necessarily always the right people to answer that question, but (laughs) ask somebody like you who is the right person. And, you know, we can show statistics and things like that. But you know what? With that specific concern, how do you approach that? Yeah. So I don't shy away from the fact that there are real side effects from having the vaccines. You know, I was out of work 
for an entire day after having the vaccine. I felt like I was hit by a Mack truck, you know, and then I recovered and I went on with my life and I will be well protected from serious complications from the COVID virus if I contract it. Um, so yes, side effects like maybe having some muscle ache, having some headache, having some fever. Those are all very, very real side effects that can happen from having the COVID vaccine. In terms of having long-term side effects from the COVID vaccine, at this point, there is no substantive evidence that that is actually what's going to happen to you or to your child. Um, the issues about heart inflammation for kids that we were hearing about earlier on in the summer, we know at this point that those who experienced potentially that side effect, if it was from the vaccine or if it wasn't, that that was a very, very small group compared with the very, very high numbers of teens who did not have any issues at all and who are now really well protected from this very, very serious virus. So I see a few questions in the comments about, you know, the number of younger kids uh, in the state who have COVID or who have serious COVID. That's probably not a, a question that you have immediate access to answer. Um, but we do have data from the Oregon Health Authority um, that they're releasing daily. Uh, and I will drop a link to their daily dashboard in our comments, and that should give people a little bit more of a, a holistic view of like what those age ranges look like and things like that. Is there anything that you would add to that? Uh, you know, we've got the data and we're happy to share it, but I don't know that that's something you would necessarily come across in your practice. I'll say this anecdotally, that I am seeing way more kids come into my office sick, way more kids testing positive, a lot of families where I thought it won't be positive, and it is. And so um, I, I will say that, that that has been my experience, that over the past year and a half, we've tested tons of kids in my practice, and tons of them have been negative, and that we're seeing the percentages rise anecdotally. Go on the Oregon Health Authority website to see exactly what's happening in our community, for sure. That data comes out every day and we report on it every day. So it's out there. Um, and, you know, those numbers are still low, but they're larger than they were before the Delta variant, for sure, is what we're seeing. Yep. We're, they're uh, they're so, larger than they were and we're worried about where they'll go, right? <laughs> right, right. Right. And, you know, OHSU and some of the other hospitals do modeling and they do some predictive stuff, which we're also um, reporting on. So we'll be sure that we share all of that information here in the comments for people who are interested in seeing it. Uh, so talking still about vaccines, the other big question that we get from parents, and this, again, is something that you probably can't provide a definitive answer to, but you can provide, um, you know, the conversations that you're having with people uh, with parents and kids. So for the under 12s, the big question we get is when is the vaccine coming for them? And, you know, what, how fast can, can we get that? And, you know, cause there are a lot of very nervous parents out there. So, you know, what, what kind of conversations are you having with people about that? Oh man, if I had a crystal ball and I could predict when that day is coming. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I will, I will wake my kids out of bed and like take them down to the vaccine clinic and give it to them. Um, I, you know, as pediatricians, we don't know exactly when that is coming. I will say that in our office, 
we're always having conversations about how, when that vaccine does become available for young children, how will we get it into them, um, offer it to them for those who want to get the vaccine um, as quickly as possible in a safe manner. We did that for the 16 and up kids. We did that for the 12 and up kids. We actually did a drive-through clinic um, for the um, for those kids um, to make it really, really simple for them to go ahead and get it at Pediatric Associates. And, um, and, and so, yeah, so I think, you know, as a medical community, gosh, we've been through several phases of this now. We're ready when it happens and we're all waiting like everybody else is kind of for that green light. But we want it to be done in the way that's going to be safe. We, we want it to make sure that, you know, we don't want it to happen faster than it's supposed to. We want it to be that the, the groups who are in charge of giving that seal of approval that they do once they feel like it's safe for our kids and it's the right time to do it. Wrapping up, um, I think we've hit most of the questions that I'm seeing uh, live in the comments, and we've touched on the points that you and I chatted about before. Um, but, you know, kind of last question to wrap up. As we're sending kids back to school, as, you know, we're dealing with this challenging time, you know, what's what's like the biggest piece of advice that you would give to parents and, and kids about how to deal with the months to come? Yeah, you know, the biggest piece of advice that I can give for for moms and for families and for kids is really about getting your support network around you virtually or in person. Probably it's going to be virtually for a lot of us so that when all these emotions of anxiety come up and of fear that you have people around you who can support you and you can support them at Modern Mommy Doc, that's actually all we do is for working moms, we have an online community and you can join us at modernmommydoc.com where we really are having a forum for moms to talk with each other. We're trying to give expert advice about navigating kids' emotions and parenting with a partner because all of those things, when you're in a coping season, like we've all been for the last year and a half, are much harder. So make sure that you are checking in with your loved ones and that you are building that support network. And then make sure that the information that you're getting are from reliable, trusted sources, please. The American Academy of Pediatrics is an excellent source, healthychildren.org. Our practice, we have a frequently asked questions about Delta variant section on our website, which I know you're gonna link to. That's a great source too. We're always updating that and making sure we have the best information for our patients. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Beat Check with Your Oregonian. We'll be back Monday with a regular episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts to get episodes like this and regular episodes every Monday. And leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps people find the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Until next time.